Now, our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It's a longer reading, so I'd ask that you remain standing if you can, uh, but if you need to sit, that's, that's totally fine. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. Uh, My name is Damien. I'm the senior pastor. I want to welcome you all here, especially guests and visitors. As Ben mentioned a couple of times, this summer we've been in a series looking at our vision and mission. If you look at the top of your worship guide, right before uh, it says worship liturgy and community life, there's a sentence, and it's actually our mission and vision put together because we actually think they do go together. Our vision is what we want to see happen. Our mission is what we want to do over and over toward the end of seeing our vision happen. And the way they fit together goes like this. It says, we exist to make whole life disciples for their callings. That's our mission. In order to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is our vision. Now, one of the things we've been looking at is what is a whole life disciple, right? You're not going to find that phrase, whole life disciple, in the Bible. You'll find disciple in the Bible all over the place. But whole life disciple is the phrase that we use to try to more fully describe what the Bible means when it says disciple. You see, so often when we say disciple, we've truncated that concept to our favorite things, We've failed to take it in its 
wholeness. And so we felt compelled as a leadership to simply say whole life disciple. But really, we're just reiterating what the Bible means by disciple. A disciple is someone who apprentices Jesus in all of their life. And so we have an image to try to get at what we're aiming at, right? We need to define whole life disciple if in fact we're going to make up words, right? We got to at least tell you what it means. And so for us, imagine this first as a target that you're aiming at. It kind of looks like a target, right? With a bullseye. So it's both a target. It's that thing we're aiming at to make whole life disciples for their callings, but also view it as a wheel, something that moves a vehicle like a car or a bike. So in the center, you have the energy source, right? You have the hub. This is where the energy comes from. Okay, and for a disciple, the energy, the vitality, the life of a disciple comes from communion with God. That is to actually walk with and know God personally. And that primarily happens through God speaking to us through his word and through us responding in prayer in all types of ways. And so that's why it says through word and prayer. Now, if you look to the the next level where it says community, imagine these as the spokes of the wheel where the power source is connected to where the rubber meets the road. And for us, this is community through knowing and loving each other and being known and loved. Now, we've mentioned a couple times that community isn't merely instrumental. In other words, it's not just something that's pragmatic in order for us to be on mission. Community is actually part of God's mission. Creating a people to be together in Jesus, one family, the family of God, is a part of the mission. And so in the same way that your spokes uh, are crucial, community is crucial to our mission. And then where the rubber does meet the road is commission. And you'll notice it says co-mission. We're really emphasizing this prefix co. And the word co, the prefix co means with. And so if you think of the great commission, that denotes authority, which is true. Jesus gives us authority because he has all authority. But he also says that he will be with us on this mission everywhere we go. Through our witness, that is what we proclaim and who we are, and through our work, our everyday work. We actually just saw it in verse 17 here in our passage. Everything we do is a part of what we mean by work. And so for New City, this is an image of the way we understand both what we're aiming at and what a whole life disciple is, where we get our power, the context of our growth, and the aim of our life. And so this is a whole life disciple. However, one of the phrases that I've used every week and haven't talked about, which we need to do today, is at the beginning of this, before I say communion, community, and commission, I say a whole life disciple is one who responding to the love of God in Christ increasingly pursues communion with God, community with one another, and commission for the world. So I need to talk about that phrase. It's not a throwaway phrase. It's actually very intentional. And so today, we're just going to take that phrase in two parts. It'll be responding to the love of God in Christ will be the first part. And then after that, it will be, uh, what will it be? That's a good question. We pursue. Yes, of course. Of course it is. So first, I want to tell you about um, when I was in high school, my parents bought me a guitar. And I was absolutely convinced when I saw that guitar that I was the next John Mayer. Because you see, John Mayer 
was big then. Okay? He, I, I still am a fan. That, that wasn't an unintentional dig on John Mayer. In fact, I didn't even anticipate saying John Mayer, but I is, that's honesty. That's what I thought. The problem was, is I picked up the guitar later that afternoon on Christmas Day, and I started to play it, and it didn't quite come as naturally as I imagined that it would. So there were these videos, and I, I watched, you know, this is a G chord, and I was like, this is impossible. That's what this is. doesn't matter what chord this is. I can't play this. So the, the one thing that did come really easily was sore fingertips. That came very easily as I tried to press the strings. It felt impossible. So guess what I did? I thought I must not be a good guitar player, right? If it doesn't come easy, it must not be meant to be, right? It must, it must be a sign that says I can't learn how to play guitar. And not only is this insane, uh, it's also the way we tend to think most of the time, isn't it? We tend to think that if things don't come easy, they're not meant to be or something like that, right? We, we tend to have this inclination that if we have to work at something, that we're not good at it. And many of us functionally live as though the Christian life should come naturally. And in fact, it absolutely doesn't. It absolutely does not come naturally. Think of a new baby, right? A new baby has new life. It has the bare essentials. It has lungs that work, Lord willing, and the baby's breathing and it's screaming. But you don't just say, that baby's good to go. No, you raise it. You nurture it. You delight in that baby. You disciple that child. You discipline that child. Growth in Christ is very similar. You see, we must learn how to follow Jesus. We must learn how to pray. Are you better than the disciples who had to ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray? No, you're not. Neither am I. We also have to learn how to meditate on his word. The Bible's filled with an invitation to meditate on God's given words to us that we would change. But we have to be taught how to do this. We have to be taught even how to love, the Bible says. And so given that, I want to dive in now to what does it mean to respond to the love of God in Christ? Because I don't assume you know how to do that. And I don't assume that I know how to do that. But I assume that you want to do that. And so what do I mean by respond? Right? This word respond. So the way I want to get at it, the way I want to get at the intentionality of the choice of the word respond is by putting it up against the word react. Now, I want to say, obviously, oftentimes respond and react mean the same thing. However, when we say respond, when I say respond in this description of a whole life disciple, I mean something very specific, right? In the way that we think about it, react is something that is involuntary in a sense, right? If a mosquito flies at your face and you do that, I mean to say that's a reaction. It didn't take a lot of thought, right? It didn't, it didn't take a lot of consideration. But when I say response, I'm assuming that it takes some consideration before you actually respond in word or action, right? And this response isn't only cognitive, right? It's, it's a response that includes what we think, but also what we do and what we say, and how we should feel about something, 
or what should motivate us. All of these things are a response and they're considered at that. So very importantly then to us, this concept of responding is not only something that we do after consideration, but also it's something that is done in response, right? Genius, okay? Which means that something prior has happened. So listen to what I'm saying. The whole life disciple is one who responding to what? The love of God in Christ. You see, we don't initiate the love of God. We don't initiate the love of God by our actions. Rather, we respond to the undeserved love of God in Christ. God has moved toward us first. God changes our heart first. God calls us to himself first. And then only after that, Do we respond? So a whole life disciple is one who lives a considered life, a life of gospel response. And the amazing thing is that over time, this response will actually become faster and faster until the point where it might seem to you that someone is naturally being kind, that someone is naturally living a sacrificial life. But in fact, there was training that went into this. There was formation that went into this. A kind word, a generous heart, a sacrificial lifestyle. All of these things over time will become more and more second nature. But they're not automatic, even for a Christian. And this is clear in that Paul spends his letters teaching these things to the churches, assuming that it takes formation assuming that they don't just get it and they need teaching, that they need to be taught, that they need to be formed in community and by the Spirit. And in our passage today, the idea of a life of response being a life of considering comes from verses 2 and through 4. Verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above. To set your mind on something actually means to give it careful consideration. Right? When, you, when you look at this word in the lexicon, that is what it means in this use, to give something careful consideration. And it's important for me to say, when, it, when we read things in the Bible like things that are above and things that are below, we oftentimes misunderstand what the Bible is saying. So when, it, when Paul says, seek the things that are above, he does not mean above is disembodied or immaterial heaven, and below is something material. No. To the contrary, what Paul is doing when he uses this language is he is exhorting us by framing reality in light of one thing. And it's in verse one, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, for Paul, any exhortation he gives to the Christian is always now in light of the fact that Jesus has been physically raised from the dead, which means the new heavens and new earth is coming into the present and changing things here. It's not some disembodied far off, well, someday we'll get there, right? That's not the Christian life. What's happened is the future is coming into the present, even now as we speak, right? Paul's exhortation is framed by the resurrection, which is by definition physical, bodily, right? What does resurrection mean if it doesn't mean 
physical, that Jesus's body was physically raised from the dead. So whatever seeking what is above means, it cannot mean focusing on a heavenly world at the expense of this material universe. It can't. In fact, it's a way of thinking that reframes this material universe. It reframes it. And so for us, becoming heavenly minded is about viewing all things as being transformed because of the resurrection of Jesus. So every dimension of our life now is to be considered from that vantage point. That's what Paul's getting at when he says, think about the things that are above, right? Even the list of virtues and vices that he gives are in obedience to this new life given in Jesus in the community, right? Just read through it later. We're not going to get into all of them, but these virtues and vices are very material. They're very physical. They're very relational. They're very this worldly. You cannot live the Christian life and not get your hands dirty. Otherwise, you're not living the Christian life. And so what Paul is talking about is identity. Paul is talking about who are we now in light of the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and because of our relationship with him, it's as though we too have already been raised. What else is he saying when he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, this is your identity, he's saying. So all the benefits we receive from God, forgiveness, righteousness, true joy, peace with God, Adoption into the family of God. All of these things are possible because of our union with Christ. Now, think of union with Christ like this. I heard Rankin Wilburn say it this in his excellent book, Union with Christ. He said, uh, think about a soccer team or a football team or whatever your favorite sport is. And I understand, don't email me later. Football and soccer, that's the same thing. Depending on where you live, I get that. Okay, I'm talking about the real football where people hit each other with pads and such, okay? Those are different to me. So whichever your favorite sport is, right? Could be baseball, whatever it is. Think about the player in in the World Series or the World Cup or the finals, whatever it is, who never once gets in the game for a single minute, right? He's suited up, but he's always on the bench. Never once gets in the game. And the star of the team hits the home run, walk off, game seven. Scores the final goal with the time expiring. You name it. Wins the game. What does that person who's been on the bench the entire series do? He gets up and he runs on the field with everyone else, doesn't he? And guess what he says? We won. We won. And you're like, bro, you didn't do anything. You sat there. But no one would say you don't get to celebrate. Why? Because by virtue of him being on the team, he too wins. Union with Christ is like that. You and I don't do anything to earn a standing with God. Jesus wins. Jesus won. He will keep winning. And you and I get to benefit in that, sort of like the guy who has been on the bench the whole time. But given the fact that he is on the team, given the fact that our relationship, our identity is now in Christ, we receive the benefits of Jesus's life, of his death, and of his resurrection. And so, to respond to the love of God in Christ is to consider the things that I have just said, day in and day out. And in the immediate context, Paul gives us two specific things to consider. In verse one, I've already mentioned, that is the resurrection. 
you and I now get to experience new creation life. If you're in Christ, you're actually new. You know, those desires that you have that you thought, where did these come from? The Bible teaches us that those desires came from God giving them to you. Even if it's tiny, even if it's a little desire to have trust in him, a little desire to step out in faith, that desire is given to you as part of resurrection life, as part of new creation. But the second thing, I love this imagery that Paul gives us to set our minds on is in verses three and four. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What in the world does that mean? Well, Paul's actually not making this imagery up. He's picking up on this imagery from the Psalms and from Isaiah. You see, what what Paul is getting at here is that if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, you are so secure. It is as though you are hidden in Christ. Nothing can attack you. Nothing, nothing can hurt you. The imagery from the Psalms and Isaiah that you might be familiar with is that God covers us and sort of puts us right here under his arm beneath his wing, or he shelters us. It's the same imagery here. We are hidden with Christ, which means we're safe, which means we ourselves cannot even separate ourselves from him. Right? We too, it's a, it's a, uh, it is a mystery. It is mysterious to us even how this all works. And yet Paul comforts us by saying, you can't wreck this. You cannot mess this up. It is hidden. And by the way, when Jesus appears, you'll, fi- you'll finally see it, that your life is wrapped up so intimately with Jesus that you will become like him in an instant, John tells us. And so what if you and I just thought about those two benefits? What if we just considered those two benefits? Would the fact that you're secure in Jesus, would it loosen your grip on what people think about you? Would it loosen your grip on the need for power and security because you're self-protecting? Would it change the way you walked into a room? Would it change the way that you react when your kids act like crazy people in public, right? You're just thinking, what is wrong with these children? Whose kids are these right here? I don't even know who these kids are. You know those moments. Don't look at me like you don't. I've seen it happen here afterwards, okay? I think, whose kids are these? This is insane. These parents are horrible. No, I don't think that. But you kind of do, don't you, right? We're so lost looking at our own belly buttons. Just what would it look like instead of navel gazing to consider that you and I can step out in confidence because our life is hidden with Christ in God? Would it change the way you career plan? Would you stop playing it safe? Would you just go love people instead of trying to figure out how strategic this next step is for your career advancement? I think it would, at least a little bit. It would for me. It does for me. These are only two things that we consider that Paul gives us. But if we read the whole book, if we explore the Bible, we see the untold amounts of benefits that are available to us in Christ. That when we consider how to respond to God's movement towards us, to God's love, that we would change.
So a person who responds in our language is a person who lives a considered life because what you set your mind on will direct your life, how you live, how you feel, how you act and what you love. Ultimately, whatever we consider in the way Paul is teaching here, we will pursue. He says it in Romans, he says it in Philippians, he says it here in Colossians, that there's a connection here, which is why our minds, Romans 12, 1, must be renewed, he says. And so responding to the love of God in Christ, second and last point, we pursue. Okay, this is the language we're using. Remember, we pursue that target. We pursue that bullseye. Look here uh, in verse one. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek is a synonym of pursue. Okay, it's the same word effectively. It carries the same meaning. And the word for seek here or pursue means to devote serious effort to attain one's desire or objective. Okay, so Paul is saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, devote yourself with serious effort to attain this objective. That's not going to come easy, is it? Christian life takes serious effort, concerted effort, intentional effort. Right from verse five on, the rest of the text, we learn that based on their death and resurrection, who they already are in Christ and the hope of their future life with him, Paul encourages the Colossians to continue eliminating sinful behaviors from their lives and cultivating Christian virtues. But notice the order. He doesn't say, go figure this out. Go get your life in order. Then you can come to me and I might give you resurrection life. No, it's you have resurrection life. Now live into it. It's already yours. Lean into it. Live into it. And, and the, the, the verses nine and 10, the metaphor of putting on and putting off is crucial in this, particularly the verb tenses. Now, you know, I don't frequently geek out on verb tenses. I don't remember the last time I've said verb tenses, but here we go, okay? The verb tense of the two participles, right? That is putting on and putting off, which by the way, a participle in English ends with an ing. So see a word with ing, it's participle, okay? It's a verbal noun, interestingly, if you want to look into that. So basically... What you have here is a specific tense that says these things have already happened. So if you read this and it says put off and put on and you think, oh, that's something that I got to do because it hasn't happened. You're misunderstanding the text. It's actually already happened according to Paul. So we should live in light of it, right? Is we've been given this new pair of clothes. So it's like, it's like everyone's going to go swimming, but you don't have your swimsuit on. Okay, everyone looks at you and they're like, that dude's not going to swim, right? What Paul is saying is, no, actually you have been given a new pair of clothes. Now live accordingly, right? You got a swimsuit on, you can get in the water now. Go ahead. What are you waiting on? You actually kind of look kind of strange if you have your swimsuit on and you never get in the water. So these things have already happened. There's been a qualitative change of identity that's occurred in the lives of believers. Now what remains is for us to bring our life, how we live, into line with this new identity. 
That's a Christian life. You're secure in Christ. Now go do that. Go live that. Identity always works this way. Whatever you think you are or want to be, you'll strive to live in line with that. It just, it just is. This is what happens, right? And all of us are seeking something. We're all giving intense effort to become something, right? And you just need to realize what is that thing? It's like, we don't get to choose, like, do I want to live a comfortable life or do I want to live a life where I'm striving to attain something? Well, it's like, we're all living a life striving to attain something. The question is, do you know what you're aiming at? Have you considered the love of God in Christ and how you might live, right? If, if you desire for everyone to see you as powerful or successful or wise, you will seek to bring your appearance and your actions in line with that, even if you're faking it. What you wear, how you act, what you say, all of these things you will bring into line with how you want to be perceived. And what Paul is saying is, let me tell you how you are perceived. You've been given a whole new identity in Christ. When, when God looks at you in Christ, he sees his child, his son, his daughter. Now that that's your identity, live in line with that. It's already happened. It's already true. You know, I was uh, thinking this week that the Christian life takes serious effort, concerted effort, intentional effort, but not a drop of earning. Not a drop of earning. One of my uh, friends from San Diego went to UVA, University of Virginia, and he tells the story of this class that he took with this professor. He would do it once a year and it was for seniors only. And it was a very coveted class. And, and the purpose of the class was to talk about current events and to do it in, a, in a, like an interdisciplinary way. People loved this professor. He was fun to be around. The class was very interesting. And oh, by the way, there was no grading. If you got into the class, you got an A. No matter what you did. There were no assessments. And so he would stand up at the front of the class and he would say, hey, you all have an A. Now let's get to learning. And, and my friend tells the story about how what was so crazy is that they would pull all-nighters for an assignment that they already had an A in. They were so driven to learn the material, to do well, to learn together. And I just think of that story and I think of the beautiful gospel logic here, right? What happened was the professor had captured their imagination. He had captured their hearts and their minds. And so when it came to the assignments, the things that they did, the action they took, it was, it was perfectly in line with what they wanted. They had already had an A. They weren't working for the grade, but they wanted to do well. They desired that. And it's also perfect gospel logic because they didn't do it on their own. He would always talk about how they would do the, have these crazy study groups and some of his close friends came out of that class experience together. And so, responding to the love of God in Christ, we pursue. We pursue who we already are in Christ. We put things to death. 
We put on as God's chosen ones certain things. And so where does this bring us? In conclusion, where does this bring us? I would say this, the journey of a whole life disciple is first a response to Jesus's call to follow him in all of life. So are you responding to that call? Will you respond to that call? The second thing I say it brings to us is it teaches us and helps us consider and behold the things that are in Christ. Behold the things that are true of us. And we need as a community teaching that reminds us of who we are in Christ. We also need environments that cultivate in us a love for God's kingdom. Environments like public worship. Environments like places where we are learning through Christian education and equipping, where we're being equipped very specifically to engage these things. Remember I said they, these things don't come naturally. They didn't come naturally to me. I was discipled. People trained me and they equipped me and they taught me. And now my job, my calling is to now turn and teach and equip and train you to then teach and equip and train others. So we need environments like community group as well, where people are getting connected to the relational fabric of the church, where people are learning to, to serve one another and care for one another and connect with one another. And we need to create environments that are transparent enough where there are three to four people where you are telling people what's really happening in your life, where people are reminding you of what's true of you and calling you to live in light of this. And we need practices that are intentional, that aim us at our new identity in Christ, that actually set us on a path that if we just keep taking this step and this step and this step, we'll arrive somewhere close approximately to that bullseye of communion, community, and commission. And so we have one more sermon in this series in which I'll talk in very particular ways about how we have and are designing all all of those things, all four of those environments I mentioned. Okay, that's the last sermon. Very practically speaking, what is the next step? But for this morning, what we needed to see is that we're being invited into a journey with Jesus. We're being invited to respond appropriately and we're being invited to consider what our life is in Christ and how to bring our daily lives, everyday lives, in line with that. And so my question is, will you join us? Will you join us in this? Will you pursue this life that we have in the gospel together with us as we seek to take one step at a time, albeit imperfectly, towards this bullseye of increased communion with God, community with one another, and co-mission for the world? Let's pray. Father, I ask you now that you would... Come and comfort those of us who need to be comfort, comforted, that you would bring peace to those of us who need your peace this morning. And I pray that you would help us know how to properly respond because, of course, a considered response isn't always the right response. So we need you. We need you to remind us of your, our dependency upon you and to remind us of the agency you've given us in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.